This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. All right, all right. Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. Boy, that was so fun. I love our church. I don't know about you guys. I love our church. You love our church? I just love it. I want to welcome you to New Life today. If you're a guest with us, uh, my name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I'm going to guide us for the next 35 minutes or so as we continue to celebrate and engage with God because we believe that God is actually present with us in this space, that God didn't just give us a list of rules and say good luck to you, that God actually partners with us in life like a a personal, powerful, always present, completely loving, and just Heavenly Father. And so we're going to continue to engage with God today. And uh, I'd love to meet you after service. So if you're brand new and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I always run. I run out a door over here. I run around as fast as I can uh, and I try to catch you. But if you could just like slow walk, saunter, meander out to the door, that would be wonderful. If you really want to try to beat me, do what they're doing in the Olympics. Have you seen this, this like power walking thing? It's like, oh my gosh, that is hilarious. I'm sure it's very difficult. I'm sure it's very difficult. Um, but hilarious nonetheless. Uh, so I'd like to see some power walking on the way out. It'll be fantastic. Um, hey, when you walked in, you should have received a program inside it. You're going to want to grab this card that says start here. For some reason, I got two. So they're very excited that I'm here. If you got two, you only have to fill out one. You can keep the other one as a souvenir for your day. So uh, go ahead and get that filled out with your name, your email address. We're going to use this throughout our time together this morning. So you're going to want to have it ready. And then you're going to want to grab our teaching notes. They've got the Bible verses we're looking at today. Uh, They've got some, just some thought points, some discussion points that I'd love for you to take home and engage with your family over some of these uh, discussion points we're talking about today. Uh, Maybe your housemates or your friends as we dig into uh, um, the next portion of our series that is called God Never Said That. God Never Said That. And I wonder if you remember being a kid watching Pinocchio. How many of you, I won't call on you, how many of you enjoyed Pinocchio as a kid? You can raise your hand. Don't be scared. It's okay. Yeah, I love Pinocchio. Uh, do you remember Jiminy Cricket? He was about this big, Jiminy Cricket. And, um, and he said to Pinocchio, when Pinocchio first came to life, he said, he sang this great song, Let Your Conscience Be Your Guide. Do you remember this song? Always let your conscience be your guide. I will not be singing it, although I might be singing later this morning. So don't worry. Don't worry. There's a, a song. There's something that's just bubbling up. So, but he said, let your conscience be your guide. And the idea was... Um, if it works here, if your conscience is clear, it must be all good to do. Now, the question is, did God really say that? Because we're in this series um, where we're asking questions about some popular ideas in Christian culture. Um, did God really promise certain things, say certain things? Because we believe that if God didn't say it or promise it, and yet we think God said it or we think God promised it, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for disillusionment and frustration. If we are standing on a promise and God never made that promise, hey, I have some friends from out of state visiting. Good to see you guys. I'm so happy to see you guys here. I'm sorry. It happens all the time. Most of the time I think, I'm just not going to say that. I'm just going to smile at them. And every once in a while it's like, look at you. So glad you're here. This is so fun. Um, If God didn't actually say it or promise it, and we think he did, then we are going to be hurt. We are going to be disillusioned. We are going to be frustrated. And I'm I'm sure if it wasn't you, you've had a friend who's walked away from church, walked away from faith, walked away from God, feeling burnt out, disillusioned, hurt, like the church should have, God should have, didn't God say he would? And 
The truth is God never said those things. And so it's a really big, big issue to know what God said and to stand with God in the things he says. And today the question is, did God really say, let your conscience be your guide? And I don't know about how you'll process this, but when I looked at what God said about our conscience, I was surprised by the things he said. I want to start with an Old Testament reference and a New Testament reference to our conscience. And if you're new to Christianity, the Old Testament is before Jesus. The part of the Bible, these letters that were written before Jesus, New Testament is the part of the Bible, these letters that were written after Jesus, during his life and then after he died and rose again and what happened with his followers in those years after he left. And here's what God says about our conscience. He uses the word heart. Here's what he says about our conscience in the Old Testament. And it's a little bit harsh. I just want to warn you. God says, the heart is deceitful. You can underline that word. Deceitful above all things. Not some things, not a few things. It's deceitful above all things. And it's beyond cure, he says. Who can understand the heart? Now, when the author, Jeremiah, uses that, that word heart, it, it's, it's a word that's supposed to capture a larger meaning. The word heart means um, our innermost being, our inner person, the sum and total of your decision-making process. When Jeremiah uses heart, he actually means conscience, this thing that guides us. And he says it can't actually be trusted. It, it actually can lead us down unhelpful paths because it's a little bit deceitful. Sometimes, And we're going to come back to why he'd be so harsh in just a second. And then the second person is a guy named Paul who wrote the majority of letters in the New Testament of the Bible. And he's writing to a church who actually, they're questioning his leadership. They're saying, we don't know that you're really a very good pastor. We don't think we can trust you. Uh, We don't think that you're necessarily even called to lead us. And this is what Paul says to them. It's really interesting in the context of his conscience. He says in 1 Corinthians to this letter to this church in Corinth, In 1 Corinthians, he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Yeah. Or judged by any human court. Indeed, he says, I don't even judge myself. My, and get this, my conscience is clear. This is the part that really got me. But that does not make me innocent. My conscience is clear. I got no problem with what I'm doing. But the truth is, he says, that's not a good indicator of whether or not I'm actually innocent. He says, the Lord is the one who will judge me. Now, let's just pause for a second. Those are two examples, one from the Older Testament of the Bible, one from the Newer Testament of the Bible, that both seem to point to the fact that our conscience cannot be the main driver of whether or not we're living life the right way. And when we see things like this, when we're reading our Bible and we see things that don't really line up, and we're going to press into this a little more this morning, but when we see things that don't really line up and we think, that's odd, it's always a good idea to stop right there. Just stop. Don't go on. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Stop right there. And ask the question, why? There must be a reason. Why is God so harsh on our conscience? And I want to, I paused and I thought about this as I was sitting in the coffee shop writing a few weeks ago. And I thought there are a number of reasons why, why we can't trust our conscience as a, as a great guide for life. And the first is this, our conscience is based largely on our personal experience. You know this and I know this. Our conscience, the thing that shapes what we think is right and what we think is wrong is largely based on the culture we grew up in, the era we grew up in, our gender. It's largely based on our our family, on our experience. If you were raised in a church, 
Our conscience around God and things of faith is largely shaped by our church experience. And the thing about that is that if it's based on my experience, I only have a very limited data pool with which to pull from. And it's largely based on me and limited to me, which is fine, which is fine, until I assume that my experience is everyone's experience. And that's when we get ourselves in trouble. I remember uh, a while back, I had someone come up to me uh, right before I went on stage to preach. So I was heading to the green room, and someone came, and, and they, had, they, had, they, had, they had written a letter to me, which is never a good sign. Like a, a card, love it. A letter, I always get nervous. And they started with Pastor Kevin. And anytime someone starts with Pastor Kevin, that's like number two. It's like, uh-oh. And they said to me, this music in this church is too loud. I said, well, that's a, that's a great opinion. I appreciate it. Share more with me. I want to hear more of your experience, right? She said, I, I, you need to pray about the level of this music. And I said, well, you know what? I have prayed, actually. And there's reasons why we play music at this volume. We try to find the right volume. And we've got, by the way, we've got earplugs. If it's a little loud for you, we've got earplugs. And the further you sit in the back, I shared with her, the quieter it is. But for people like me, who our voices are just, they're a lot more like Screech from Saved by the Bell than they are like Mariah Carey. You know, I said, I want to sing out, but you don't want to hear me sing out. And so I said, for our friends who are new to church, you know, if they're just coming to engage with God and, and you walk into a room and everyone is singing, that's an odd dynamic. Like, where else does this happen in the world except for in a church service? And so we like the music a little louder to give a little more anonymity to people as they, as they express and explore themselves in worship. So I said, I have prayed about that. And this person looked at me and said, then you don't hear from God. <laughs> Woo. Okay. We talked about this a while ago, about how we can pull down walls, right? Assume the best. And my walls went up. <laughs> and I tried to push them down. And I said, well, uh, wow. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's, let's talk. And I said, then I don't think this is the right church for you. If you don't think the pastor hears from God, <laughs> that's not a good place to come and sit and learn. Said, well, maybe, okay, maybe that was a little strong, they said. And I said, okay, that's fine. We don't have to worry about that. We forgave, we moved on, we partnered together. Um, but this person's experience, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with thinking the music here is too loud, is there? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> Others are thinking it's perfect. Some are thinking, turn that music up. You know why? Her conscience was bothered because of her church experience, not because of God. Does that make sense? But anytime we, we decide that my experience is the sum and total of all experience and must be God's opinion on it, we get ourselves in trouble because our conscience can be limited to a very few things. So that's the first problem with our conscience. It's based largely on my personal experience, church experience, family experience, age, gender. And then our conscience shifts with age, experience, and social norms. Have you ever noticed that the things that you thought that really bothered your conscience 20 years ago don't bother your conscience so much now? Or vice versa, the things in your, in your 20s that didn't bother your conscience really bother your conscience? I mean, how about, for me, it's like food. I used to eat anything. It didn't bother my conscience at all. Now I, certain things I think, well, that's not going to be good for me. That's not healthy. I, you know, it bothers my conscience. That has changed over time through the gentle conviction of my friends. Uh, I'm going to pick on church, not any one church person. It's church again. Like, here's a great example of how our conscience changes over time in church. Years ago, it used to be the only way to worship, the only way to worship was through hymns, right? Hymns are it. 
And then it was like, well, okay, we don't have to only do hymns, but it has to be a cappella. Only a cappella, no instruments, you know, just our voices singing out to God. Otherwise, we're like a clanging cymbal. And, and then it was like, okay, not only a cappella, we can have some piano in there, like light piano, starting with organ, then piano. Then it was like, okay, we could probably add some guitar, only acoustic, not electric, right? That's from the devil. Just ask Elvis, right? We were like, ah! And then it was like, okay, we can have electric, but no drums. Okay, we can do drums, but no lights. Okay, we can do lights, but no fog. Oh, that's some people are like, no, we can't do fog. Our conscience is... is it's based on our experience, and it changes from generation. I'm, listen, this is just a prediction. I'm guessing in the next 30 or 40 years, worship will go back to one person on one guitar. Now, don't cheer. I'm just guessing it could actually go back full circle to one person with a few candles. And we'll say, see, this is real worship. It just changes over time. And it's okay to have preferences. I like me some hymns. I want some 90s. I want some wow worship. You know what I mean? Like, that's where God is found. Yeah, man. Or how about this? Let me just, let me just press in a little bit. How about this? Man, I, worship is great when Maria Finkbeiner leads or when Justin leads or when Spike leads. This is my worship leader. Okay, how many of us, let's not raise our hand. How many of us have felt that before? That's when I really engage with God in worship. No, no. Worship is just singing prayers to God. It doesn't really matter who's leading or what the venue. We can, we can worship, but it's, it's just the way that it flows. Hmm. How about this? You know I love Good Friday. I love Good Friday. This last year, we didn't have a Good Friday worship service. If you're brand new to church, Good Friday, uh, it's the Friday before Easter. And for a couple years, we had a worship service. I love it. I love Good Friday, celebrating Jesus' death on the cross and all that that meant. It's a powerful time. We didn't do it this year. We didn't do it this year. Now, I would say that our church celebrates Jesus' death and resurrection more than almost any other church in Petaluma. We celebrate communion every week. Amen. Yeah. That's because we're the right way to do it. No, I'm just kidding. I... But we didn't do it. We didn't do, we didn't do a Good Friday service. So it's Easter week this last year. I'm getting ready. Like, it's a big week. If you're like a pastor, this is like your Super Bowl, okay? I love Easter week. And I get this letter, Pastor Kevin, warning, warning, warning. Pastor Kevin, you are sinning and leading our church into sin because we're not having a Good Friday worship service. Ouch. I know, right? It hurt for about two seconds. I mean, it stung. It stung deep. And I had to pray. I had to pray into that with some friends. Because our church experience shapes our conscience. And there's nothing wrong with that. Except for the fact that we have a church of, what, 600 people. And our experiences are different. The third one is this. Our conscience is clouded by sin. Sin is the things that we think and say and do that are counter to God that separate us from God, that hurt us, hurt other people, that walk us down paths we don't want to go. And our conscience has actually been clouded by that. If we, uh, if we continue on certain patterns, we have what the Bible calls, we get a hardened heart. Something that used to really bother our conscience, if we do it long enough, it just stops bothering us. You ever felt that way? If you have kids, the first time you lost your temper and yelled at your kids, it hurts your heart. But if you go down a path of yelling at our kids every week, over time, it's like, well, 
You know, like, they deserved it. Probably, probably. But our hearts get hardened. And it shapes our conscience. For all those reasons, here's what I would say. Our conscience is a good thermostat, but a terrible thermometer. Here's the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. With a thermostat, you get to set the level, right? And then the thermostat keeps your temperature at the level with which you set it. You get to set it. The thermostat tells you if you've gone above or below the set temperature. A thermometer tells you what the temperature is. Our conscience, we get to set based on a number of factors. We set our conscience. And then it tells us whether or not we've gone past our own set of values, our own level, which is why something might bother your conscience, but not theirs or his or hers, because you get to set it. I get to set it. And then it tells us whether or not we've gone past it. It's a great thermostat. However you set it, it will tell you. You'll get that little feeling inside that says, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. So the question for the morning is this. How can we set our life's thermostat to the right temperature? This is what I've been thinking about recently. How could we do that? And I was thinking, man, I wish, I just, I wish we had someone who could guide us, who, who had the vast sum and total of human experience, not just my experience, but the sum and total of all human experience. I wish I had someone who could guide me like that. I wish there was someone who could guide me that didn't shift with culture. I, I wish there was someone who could guide me who, who created me and knew me and knew the best way that life worked. And then I thought, oh my gosh, there is. His name is God. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's so funny. Because I was being sarcastic there. That's why that's funny. So I thought, let's talk about how God would want to set our thermostat. See, God, he wrote these letters to us through various people over the course of human history. A, comp- a compilation of letters across cultures, genders, societies, when different governments were in power. He wrote these letters to us through people, and then they got compiled in a book. There are 66 of these letters that got compiled in a book. The book is called the Bible. And we have these 66, we call them books of the Bible. They're 66 letters written to various people inspired by God so that we can set our thermostat. And for the rest of our time together, what I want to do is I want to talk to us about how we engage with the Bible. Not so much how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible, the right way to do it. We've talked about all that before. I want to talk about, on a deeper level, our orientation to the Bible. How do we look at it? How do we approach it? What are our feelings towards it? Because how we approach the Bible is actually more important than how we study the Bible. That's secondary. Knowing how to actually look at it is secondary to why would I look at it? What's the benefit of it? And the way I want to do it is I want to look at Psalm 119. In the Old Testament of the Bible, there's a compilation of poems and songs and journal entries called the Book of Psalms. It's the longest book of the Bible. And Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in that book. It's got 176 verses. I'm not going to read them all. You're welcome. I'm not going to read them all. 
but I want to pull out some of the main themes of this psalm, and it comes from an author talking about his own conscience, wrestling with how do I set my conscience in line with God. So we're going we're gonna to peek into his journal entry, and we're going to pull out some things that might be beneficial to us. We're going to start with verse 2 of Psalm 119, where the author says this, Blessed are those who keep his, that's God's, statutes, and seek him with all of their heart. Now, the author's going to talk about his, his conscience, and he's going to use the phrase, your word or your law. He's talking about God's guidance of him and his conscience. Blessed are those who keep his statutes, who, and catch this, who seek him with all their heart. That's going to come into play in just a second. I don't know about you. I love whitewater rafting. Anybody else like whitewater rafting? Yeah, I love it. My grandfather lives in Medford, Oregon, right across the California-Oregon border. And in that area, there's this river called the Upper Klamath River. It's got these, some of the largest scale raftable rapids. And my family raised us to like adventure. So even as like a young, like 11-year-old, 12-year-old, we had the helmets on. We were going down these rapids. And every time we went down these rapids, every summer we'd go, and we always had a guide. And you bet your bottom dollar, I got to know the guide. Because the guide had my life in his hands. Like, if I didn't know the guide, if the guide was on some sort of crazy trip, if the guide was like, like, I don't really care about this life. Like, I don't want to be in the boat with that guide. Because he's got my life in his hands. In the same way, the way that the author of this psalm starts out is he says that the Bible... Your word is a guidebook designed not to help me get to know your laws, but to help me get to know you, God. He says, oh, that I would know him more deeply. See, if our orientation towards the Bible is that the Bible is a book of laws, a book of rules, then we don't actually need to know God at all. All we need to do is memorize his rules and keep his rules. But the Bible is not primarily a book of rules. The Bible is primarily a guidebook to help us get to know our guide, to help us get to know God. Because if we don't know God, then we're never going to trust him when he shares with us his guide to life. So he says, my primary goal, this is what the author's saying, my primary goal is that I would get to know God through his word. That's my orientation. That's my direction. My primary goal is not to memorize scripture, to figure out the laws. If you were raised in the church, um, I didn't have this, but some of our other staff tell me about these things called sword drills. Because I say the Bible is like the, the sword, like the word, and they do sword drills. I'm like, oh, that's so 80s. That's fantastic. Sword drills. Like, that's not the goal of the Bible. Like, to get the biggest sword and go hacking other Christians, not the goal of the Bible, is to get to know, yeah, shank, remember? Remember that? That's not the goal. It's to get to know God. Verse 5, he goes on to say this. Oh, and he's crying out, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. The author's saying, I wish I was predisposed in my conscience to follow your guide. I wish I was, but I'm not. 
He's saying there's something in me that pulls away from your guidance, that is predisposed to set my own thermostat, to live according to my own rules. But I wish, I wish I was predisposed to you. And he says, I want to shift towards you. Now, how many of us, this is not a raise your hand question, how many of us, if we're totally honest, just take a little inventory, have ever gotten to a part of the Bible, said, God, I know what you say, I know what you think, but I don't like it. I don't agree with it, and I'm not going to follow it. If you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. That's what the author of the psalm is saying. The question is not, is it okay to come up to something in the Bible and disagree with it? The answer, and I'm going to say this, and you might get mad at me, it's okay to come up to something in the Bible and disagree with it. It's okay to come up to something in the Bible and not like it. The question becomes, what I do next? What do I do when I come up to something in the Bible that I don't agree with or that I don't like? Here's what the author did, and it's our next note. We can honestly admit that we're not going to like or agree everything with everything in the Bible because our conscience has been shaped in certain ways. But what we do next is so important. Look what he does next. He says, I don't agree with everything, God. I want to, but I don't. Then he says to God, he prays out in verse 18, open my eyes so that I might see the wonderful things of your law. Maybe underline that, the wonderful things, so that I might see the wonderful things of your law. He says, I'm a stranger on this earth. Don't hide your commands from me. See, the author comes up to something he doesn't agree with in in God's word. And he says, listen, I've only been here 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 80 years. I'm a stranger in this earth compared to you, God. You created this thing. You've been around since the beginning. Help me open my eyes to see the wonderful things of your word. You could say it this way. Whenever you and I run up against something that we don't agree with in the Bible, we need to press in with curiosity. And here's the best part. Assuming there's a good reason why it's there. Isn't that what we want from each other? Isn't that what you want from your coworkers? When you say something they don't agree with, they don't like, don't you want them to say, tell me more about that. Help me understand. I'm pretty sure there's a good reason why you said that. I just don't get it. That's what we want. Is that what you want from your spouse or your kids? Listen, God wants the same thing from us. He's not offended by our disagreement. He's not threatened when we walk up to something and say, I don't like that. He's not threatened by us. (laughs) Newsflash, he's God. Okay? (laughs) You're like, he's me. But he loves you. So the question is, how do we come up This author is so humble, so inquisitive. He says, I'm not God, I'm a stranger. You're God. Teach me. Open my eyes so I can see the good news. Everything God writes in the Bible is good news. The question is, how is that good news, God? Where's the good news there? Help me understand. Help me to see. We have a rule in our family with our seven-year-old and our five-year-old. It's called obey first, ask next. Obey first, ask next. Hey, go clean your room. Here's what I want to hear back from them. Okay, dad, obey first. Clean your room. Come back out. 
This is an ideal world, I know. Come back out. Hey, Dad, can I ask you, why did I have to clean my room right then? That's fine. I love that. I'm fine with my five-year-old doing that. My five-year-old is not a challenge to my authority. Okay, I can lift him up with one hand. Like, I could, I could pop you. That's what I want to say to him. I could pop you, man. Like, he doesn't think so. He puffs up, but I'm not threatened by him. I'm not threatened by him. But I want his orientation towards his parents to be the, to assume his parents have his best interest in mind all the time. That's the orientation I want for my son. That's the orientation I want for my daughter. We are God's sons and daughters. The orientation towards him and towards his word that he wants from us is this. I assume, God, that there's a good reason for this. Help me understand. Open my eyes. I'm a stranger in this world. A couple tips if you're trying to do that would be if you come up against something you don't understand, grab your Bible, grab your smart device, do a word search. If you have a paper Bible, look in the concordance. Look up that word. Look up that topic. Look up that theme. Try to see what God says. Say, God, help me understand. Open my eyes as I dig into your word. Help me understand. Because we believe God wants to reveal it to us. We generally think God actually has a plan. Wants to show us. Doesn't want to keep things hidden from us. In fact, we're told that God wants to reveal things to us so much that he gives us his Holy Spirit living in us. He says, my spirit is truth and my spirit leads to truth. So I say something like, God, your spirit is living in me. You want me to experience your truth. Open my eyes. And then it ends with this crescendo. The next hundred verses or so say pretty much the same thing over and over again. Spoiler alert. He just says it over and over and over. It's like, yeah, dude, we get it, okay? We, but he had to journal. He was, he was working it. He was working it. He had some issues with God he was working through. But then Psalm 105 is like the high point. And um, just a warning, my, my first concert was an Amy Grant concert. How many of you like Amy Grant? Anybody? You can confess it. It's a safe place. We're in church. Amy Grant was this, like, she's still around, maybe, I don't know, but in, like in the 80s and 90s, she was it. She was it. Talk about wow worship. She was like, boom. And my first concert was Amy Grant down in Pasadena, and, and she sang this song that comes from this verse. So I'm going to try to read it, but I might break into song. I'm going to try not to, but I might. So just bear with me and just be so thankful I'm not on the worship team. It goes like this. It's verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. But every time I hear it, I think, you can sing it with me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Don't smile and a light unto my path. Yeah, Amy Grant, don't be embarrassed about that. Woo! Oh, I love it. She's still good. She's so good. When I go away, think I lost my way. You are there right beside me. Remember? Nothing will I fear. We got to stop. Okay, as long as you are near, please be near me to the end. Amy Grant is so good. Amy Grant. Woo! (laughs) I love our church. He He says the word of God is a lamp and a light. Here's the thing about lamps and lights. They shine a little distance, a little distance. It doesn't shine the whole path. It gives you the next five feet. Your word is a lamp and a light. It's going to give me my next step, my next step. I'll be honest. I'm so thankful God didn't illuminate the whole path for the rest of my life. I can only deal with the next step. Thank you, God, for giving me the next step. 
But the thing about lights in the ancient world and these lamps in the ancient world, they had to continually be filled with oil. You had to always be filling the lamp with oil to get the light. Fill the oil, get the light. Fill the oil, get the light. Here's the thing about God's word. It's supposed to get into us. When we get into God's word, God gets into us. But he has to get into us on a regular basis. We got to fill the lamp with oil. This is why I talk about getting into God's word 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day. I'm not saying 10 hours. I'm saying 10 minutes so that the word of God can shape our conscience, can shape it because it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It sets the thermostat so that we're all going at the right spot. So our life temperature is right. Here's what I'm going to try to finish it up, but this is too good, right? This is too good. I love what the author of Hebrews says. Your word is alive and active. God, your word is alive. When I read the Bible, it's alive. It's active. It's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to my soul and spirit through my joints and marrow. It judges my thoughts and my attitudes. It shapes my conscience. The great thing about the Bible is you don't just read it once and it's like a one and done. It's alive and active. God speaks to us through his word at every step of our lives, because thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we get into it, then it gets into us, then it sets the thermostat. God promises us that his word will guide our conscience as we regularly engage with him. And we do it from the standpoint of being his children. Okay, God, I'm going to follow you. God, you know I'm going to follow you. I'm your kid, yeah. You say clean my room, I'll clean my room. Now, can I ask you why? I'm sure there's a good reason. Can I ask you why? How different is that than, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I'm not going to follow it. What do you do with that kid? Time out. Spank him. Someone said, yeah. <laughs> Woo. No, God, luckily God is much more patient with us. Although we are going to talk next week. Get ready. About what do I do when I find myself in a valley? Does a valley mean that I always made a wrong turn? Not always. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. So what I, let me ask you, let me ask you, would you consider? Would you cons- just consider? As you and I shape our conscience, as we fe- set our thermostat, would you consider allowing God to be the one that sets it with you? Would you just partner with him 10 minutes a day? 10 minutes a day. Get in there. For some of us, that might, might mean downloading the YouVersion Bible app. I gave you that idea as a next step. For others of us, it just means getting up 10 minutes earlier, going to bed 10 minutes later, you know, taking a lunch break, just letting God's Word get into us every day. For others of us, I would guess there's a perspective some for, for maybe all of us. There's some perspective where we just are diametrically opposed from God. Could I invite you this week? To simply go to God and say, God, I'm going to follow you. I love you. You're my heavenly father. Help me understand why you said that. Maybe that's your next step. For some of us, our next step is to enter into a relationship with God. Because without a relationship with God, it is just rules and laws. And that's not what God desires for you. He wants to know you, to partner with you. He wants to forgive you of the sin that has so deeply hurt you and wounded you, that's wounded others. And if you've never entered into a personal relationship with him, that's your chance today. It's your chance to to take that step. And I'm going to pray right now and give you a chance to do that. So I'm going to invite you, would you join me in prayer? And whatever you need to do to get yourself 
um, into a place where you can just be sensitive to God. Maybe that's closing your eyes. Maybe it's just looking down. Whatever you need to do. Let's pray. God, would you shape us? Would you set the thermostat of our lives? Would you prepare us? Would you guide and lead us? Would your word become ever more that lamp and that light as we fill ourselves with oil every day and experience you? And if you're ready to commit your life to God, to start a journey with him, just repeat these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I believe you love me. I believe you gave your life for me so that I could experience your forgiveness, your healing in the broken places in my life, and I need healing, God, so that I could experience becoming part of your family. And that's what I want today. So would you come, God? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.